thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope that you are having a great morning. I hope that the rain and the weather is actually um, refreshing to your soul. That's what I hope. Um, for me, it is a sinus infection, which I always love. And so um, if I lose my voice this morning, I have instructed the worship team to come up here to lead us in one more song and then us to leave like, like God did something big. Um, God is going to do something big today. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I th I'm thankful for this series that we've been in, Engaging God. If you have your Luminous Church app, or maybe you don't know about that, if you go to the app store, you can download the Luminous Church app. And on that app, there is uh, some interaction for our message. Uh, there's uh, been several poll questions that we've been asking every week to interact with you um, so that we could better engage you. And I'm excited for that. Um, last week, we talked about what does your mind think about most during the week? What does your mind think about most during the week? And 44% of you said work or school. Now, that's no surprise, right? 44% said work or school. 6% though said hobbies. So I want to meet those people who think most about their hobbies throughout the week. It's probably because Top Golf just opened. And so you've probably been thinking about Top Golf 24 7. Anyway, um, that's so awesome. <clears throat> couple of things I just want to instruct you on, uh, a couple of things that we're adding to our service. If you notice on your way in to service this morning, there is a communion table. And for those who are in Christ who claim to be a, a Christian, then we would always encourage you to um, grab communion and you can take it back to your chair. And you can take that anytime during the service. Um, we won't have a moment that we instruct you to do that. In fact, we feel like that would be um, something between you and Jesus this morning to take that together uh, or to take that. And so you can do that during the worship set. You can do it um, during my message. And you can maybe do it after um, this time and uh, before you leave today. And so that's available for you this morning. And we would instruct you to take your trash with you. Um, nobody wants to clean up your communion cups. Hey, the next question on our poll app, if you pull out your, if you pull out your app um, this morning, is this. What, when do you feel closest to God? When do you feel closest to God? And there's all sorts of questions on there. Maybe some of you feel closest to God when you're at work, or maybe some of you feel closest to God when you come to church, or maybe some of you feel closest to God when you're sleeping. Amen. Um, that's where those people are this morning. And so we're thankful for that. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're in a new series. It's a mini series called Engaging God. Um, last week, we talked about our outward posture uh, towards God, which if you're a guest this morning, you're probably glad that you missed that one because I actually had everybody raise their hands during at the end of service, and it was awesome. And, and so that may have made you feel uncomfortable. So you chose the right day today, or maybe you didn't. I'm not sure because I will have you do an exercise at the end of our um, sermon today. And so I'm excited for this exercise but don't you worry don't start sweating now and don't don't go to the restroom and don't and never come back because I know I know how it goes and I know the tendency to do that and so I will try to make you feel as comfortable as possible in this place and 
And so whether you are checking out Jesus and who he is and this relationship with him, um, we are glad you're here. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus since you were five years old like I have. And, and we hope that this morning you would, um, that God would show up and minister to you this morning in amazing ways. I, I realize um, the tendency when you talk about worship at any point that it can become manipulative. Right, because because when the worship leader is up here and she says, "Raise your hands to Jesus," um, then you may feel uncomfortable doing that, and you're like, "Man, they're manipulating me." And I understand that that's what it oftentimes can lead to is some manipulation. And so I'm hoping not to manipulate you this morning, but what I am trying to do is challenge you, challenge you that you would that you would become a people who would maybe see God in a different way than you've seen him before. And and as you see him, that your response towards him could be somewhat different. It could could be somewhat different, and that's what I hope for. I love the poet um, Ralph Waldo Emerson says this, It behooves us to be careful what we worship, for we are worshiping, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. And I would say, yes, the latter half of that statement is true. Whatever you are worshiping, you are becoming. But I would also say this, that that you don't have a choice whether to worship or not. That all of us are worshiping something with our heart, with our mind, and with our body. It is the way that we bring worth to whatever we value the most. And so whatever you value the most is what you are worshiping by your time, by so many other things. And and as your heart is centered on that thing, then it becomes your affection. And it's what Emerson said you are becoming. Proverbs 27, 17 would say this about 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man that that whatever is in your heart and whatever is is the center of your worship in here it will come out of you and it'll be reflected this morning we're going to talk about our corporate gathering of worship in fact that's what this two weeks has been intended to do to talk about our corporate gathering of worship Uh, what what is it like when you come in to luminous church and you sit in your pew. Um, these aren't pews, thank God. Um, they're comfortable chairs. And when you sit in your comfortable chair that, that hugs you so well, what is our worship like? And everybody has different cultures of worship. You may have noticed this. Maybe you've gone to um, a more traditional liturgical church where they have a, a different things that they do in worship where it is inappropriate to raise your hands in worship. Or maybe you've gone to a church that is way more expressive and people are going up and down the aisles with their flags running and yelling, right? And, and so both of these are cultural expressions of worship. In Scripture, we see that that people stood before God, they knelt before God, and they lay prostrate before God. They did all three before God. Which one is more appropriate? I think all three can be appropriate. God doesn't necessarily give us a script on how you ought to worship. And so 
us as a culture have read scripture and we've made um, scriptural backings for how we worship at Luminous Church. For us, we, we stay in our seat and we don't jump over the seats. That's, we don't do that at Luminous Church, and um, these are just a couple of the things that we do. And so, so you have a little box right here, and we say you can do whatever you want in that box as long as you don't affect the next person's box, right? So if you're screaming so loud that they can't hear the music, then, then probably you have misappropriated your worship at Luminous Church. Does that make sense? And so, so we have different postures, but our, our posture here is we do lift hands. We will kneel in our box around our chair. We will sing to the top of our lungs, and we allow you to sing, even if you can't sing on key. Amen, Tad. All right. That's what I'm talking about. We allow you to do that. And, and when we do that, we talked last week about how that actually encourages us in our moments. And I love when the worship leader actually starts building a song and gets louder and louder and more passionate. Because sometimes I need their passion to break through the funk that I walked in the room with. You know, sometimes I need them to sing so loud that it breaks whatever I came in with. And I come in with all sorts of stuff. I'm sick. I don't feel like worshiping. It's raining. It's daylight savings, Lord. Nobody's coming to church. God, why am I up here? And then as David begins to lead in worship corporately, and it gets louder and louder, and there's an anthem behind me singing passionately with all, their, with all their heart, mind, and soul. Then it starts breaking through stuff, and I'm like, man, God, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. And I just get more expressive, and I get louder and louder, and I'm like, God, thank you that you broke through my distractions. Distractions. Distractions are a funny thing when it comes to worship and entering in. I've been doing this thing lately that I've really enjoyed. And when I first wake up in the morning, the thing that, that was, had my heart in the morning was the Instagram news feed. You know, it was, it was, you know, posting that cute picture of Benson and seeing how many likes I would get on that cute picture of Benson because everybody likes him more than me. So he'll get way more likes than I do. And as I do that, I, I, was, I was like opening it up, and, and I would see it, and 30 hearts. I love that the like is a heart because it's not just like. They love it. And so I, I really enjoy that about my Instagram feed, and I've been doing this thing, and I, I realized that, that this has taken some of my heart and some of my focus. For, so since the beginning of the year, the first thing I do when I wake up is brush my teeth and all that stuff. <laughs> but the first thing I do, I don't look at Instagram and I don't look at Facebook and I don't look at the news. I look to Jesus. I say, Lord, before I look at anything else out there, I'm going to look at who you are in here. And so I open my Bible and I read and I've been spending time with them. As a result, my heart's focus has changed tremendously. My first love has repositioned itself to first love, and I love that. Inward posture. Um, my grandmother 
was an amazing woman of God. I would say that she is uh, what you would describe as righteous. She, she was amazing in every way. If she was alive today, she would be 96 years old. And um, man, I loved my grandma and I loved her for multiple reasons. But you know, she went to a church that was culturally different. And she expressively worshiped different outwardly. But inwardly, her worship was so rich, so amazing. And I know that her inward worship was amazing because of her outward fruit. You see, raising your hands in our posture is not necessarily the fruits of our worship. The fruit of our worship and our inner worship of what's happening in the heart was her, that every day that she was alive, the last 10 years of her life, she would go to the nursing home and sit with people and pray for them every day. She would, she would tell people about Jesus, and she would give her grandkids um, scriptures to meditate on. I would always wake up when I stayed at her house and find herself reading her Bible with a piece of toast and a warm cup of coffee. Folgers, sad to say. Reading it and making it first priority in her life. And I knew her inward worship was to the Lord. And it was sweet, and it was amazing. Inward worship. If then statements, if then statements, I like this. If, if this is true, then this has to be true. I think you could break those down quite a bit. But the if then statement for us is if God is a big deal, if God is most important, if he's the biggest thing in our life, if he is the one to have our affection, if he is the one who made the earth, if he's the one who, who makes the sun rise every day and the sun set in the evening, if he is such a big deal, then, then what is my response towards him? If he is so amazing, so grandiose, if he did all this, then what is my response? We've been studying David. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 57. Psalm 57 is where we'll be this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we've been studying David and, and how David understood how amazing God was, how big he was. And yet, yet David was persecuted, had troubles, had many things against him. He had a guy stalk him for half his life trying to kill him. That's scary. And so how do you perform under those pressures? How do you love God under those pressures? And so as we study the Psalms, we see many things. In Psalm 57, verse 7, David says this, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. And then he says, awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I love this word, steadfast. Steadfast means it, it, my heart is set on you. The Hebrew translation would say set or fixed on you. 
Because of your steadfast for me, my steadfast heart, my heart is steadfast before you. And I think this is the amazing place to begin with our inward posture of worship, that we would, that we would set our heart on him. Our entire heart. Psalm 111, it says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. My whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. When he says, when he says, I will awake the dawn, awake my glory. Talking about his whole heart. Awake my whole heart to you and let it be steadfast. Benson and I have been doing this thing since he was 10 months old. Here's a picture of him with, with uh, one of many balls that he has because he has tons of toys. I don't know how he has tons of toys. I guess any firstborn child does. And as he, as he holds this ball, we've been doing this thing since he was 10 months, and I've been training him. I've been training him to be in the NFL. And I know this isn't a football, but, you know, it's the best ball he can hold at the time. And so we'll just transition balls, you know. That's really what we'll do. But we've been doing this thing. And I go, ready, down, set. Let's try that again. Down, set. Oh, come on, man. Y'all are pathetic QBs. Okay, ready? Down, set. There you go. Hut, hut. And he knows. He knows this, right? Down, set. Get ready. Get ready. Anticipation and hut. That's right when he throws the ball. It's awesome. It's awesome. And, and we've used variations of this. Maybe you've used another variation. Maybe you said, ready, set. Oh, my goodness. Is it daylight savings time? Apparently it is. Ready? Are you ready? I'm going to do it like Benson. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Get set. Come on, baby. Go. Ready, set. Man. We were to have a church that was as passionate as I was. I don't know what we would do. You, you may think this is a silly illustration, but it's really profound. I'm going to tell you why. Because God is saying, get ready, get set, and to go. He's saying down, set, hut. What are the things that we have to get set? First, we have to get set our mind, and then we have to get set our hearts. Let's read it in Scripture. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's about to prepare them about the, the path that he's about to go on and what he must do to take away the sins of the world, the cost that it's going to take him. Their very best friend. And in 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, his best friend, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. I love that one. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter lost his worship focus. 
He lost the focus that, that God wanted him to go on. He, he, he lost it. You see, his mind was being set on other things. And Jesus clearly says, you set your mind on things that you shouldn't be setting your mind on. Let's read more. Colossians 3.2. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 1 Peter 1.13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind on Jesus. And as we come to Luminous Church and maybe we fought in the car with our wife because she was late or maybe you were late or maybe you didn't iron your pants that day. Iron your pants, men. It's a good thing to do. It'll cause less fights. You know, iron your pants. And whatever, whatever it may be, it's easy to let your mind shift and start setting it on other things. But what do we do when we come to a church service? What do we do when we come to Luminous Church? What are we setting our mind on? What are we setting our heart on? First Chronicles 22, 19 says this. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. Set your mind and set your heart. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, set your mind. And tell your other neighbor, set your heart. And they're like, why are you talking to me right now? Set your mind and set your heart. It's really what David understood. I, my heart will be set before you, Lord. My heart will be set. Why did he say it twice? He said it twice because if you don't believe it the first time, you just got to say it again, right? I do that all the time. I'm going to wake up today. Okay, I'm going to wake up today. How many of you done that? Down, set, hut. So where does this hut come from? Hut was used in the military in World War II. It's a hard syllable. It's a thing to bring attention. It's a thing that demands action. And so when you say, attend, hut, then what happens? Everybody is completely engaged. Attend, hut, everybody's completely engaged. Down, set, hut, everybody is engaged into their assignment that they need to be engaged in. John 4, 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, let me set this up. There's a woman by the well. And the woman was in her sixth relationship. And it was crazy about how Jesus begins to serve her begins to encounter her and starts speaking truth to her. And as he does, 
he brings this statement about Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming. And now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus was telling this woman that you have gone up to the mountain, and out of law and ritual, you have worshipped how you've best known how to worship. You've worshipped the best you've known how to worship. Your people have worshipped the best they know how to worship. But your worship was limited. Your worship was limited because your worship, your worship was about worshipping a rule and laws and a, a belief system. In fact, maybe, maybe you fall victim to this. Maybe inwardly, if I'm good enough, if I'm perfect enough, then I'm worthy to worship. And so I'll keep positioning my heart to get clean enough. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to go to God. I was at UTSA this week, and I encountered my friend. I'm going to rename him just in case he ever comes. Let's call him Seth. And Seth came, and I started engaging him, and we started sharing the gospel. And, and he grew up Irish Catholic, and there's nothing wrong with Irish Catholic. In fact, they drink a lot, and I love that, right? So they like their beer, but he's Irish Catholic, and Seth is sitting there, and he's talking about his belief systems. I start asking him about his belief systems, and, and then I start presenting the gospel of grace, that God the Father loves you, Seth, and his affection for you is towards you. And then, and then I start telling him, and uh, I don't know if it was prophetic, uh, probably not that prophetic because it, it happens all the time, right? Because there's a bad, a lot of bad, messed up dads. And when you grow up in a belief system where you have to be good in order to be pleasing to God, then the dad will come down on you and said, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this, and becomes a driver, right? Because he wants behavior. And out of that behavior... The, the person in that system normally will break or feel unworthy like they're not good enough. So we start talking about this, and as we talk about the, and have this conversation, I tell them about God is a good father, and he loves you. And there's always a seat at the table for Seth. That there is, you, you never get dismissed from God's table. There, there's not a kitty table over there, and there's not a plate of food that he'll send you up to your room for out of some punishment. No, there's always a seat at God's table. And I tell him about grace and how there is nothing you can do to earn God's love for you. Nothing. He starts shaking his head. Hmm. Never thought of that. That's interesting. And I could tell just the Holy Spirit started moving. And he started getting this revelation that God is good and he loves you exactly where you are. 
You don't have to clean yourself up to go to him. Jesus was saying that this is what was happening with Jesus coming to the earth. That Jesus came to the earth to show his children that you don't have to fix yourself because you can't. You'll fall short. But I'll fix you. And I'll make you right. And I'll take the punishment upon the cross. And I'll call you to myself. And I'll love you with never-ending love. The woman, the woman was like, when is this coming? Jesus says, it's now. I am the Messiah who stands before you. You see, Jesus opened the veil into the Holy of Holies so that we could worship freely. And as we pour out our hearts inwardly, he is so responsive. And so how do we worship inwardly? My response for worship comes from his response to me. My response for worship comes from his response to me, for coming after me, for chasing me, that his love is steadfast. And so my love will become steadfast. David, will you come up here? And the question is, and the question every morning on engaging God Engaging God and engaging God in worship, engaging him inwardly is, is the biggest question that we have is how is Jesus responding to you? How is Jesus responding to you? How did Jesus respond to you before you came in? You know, I, I dream of a church just like I dream of my son when I say down, set, hut. Man, I want him to throw the football like beautiful spiral and engage in the game and it'd be amazing and he'll be a better athlete than I ever was um, because I'm not that athletic. But he will. And I, I, I want him to engage in that, but what I want is I want a church. And when we walk in this room, that wouldn't be, okay, down when the worship team is playing, set when Jared is giving the announcements, and then hut when the sermon is preached. I want when somebody comes in the room that the first note that comes out of the drums, the first note that comes out of the guitar, the first lyric of that is sung, that that would be our hut, and we would enter into worship fully, whether it's an outward posture with lifting hands or, or an inward posture of positioning. God, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. When do we be a church that worships because we know Jesus? We know his response for us. If you would, close your eyes this morning, and as you do that, I'm going to walk us through an exercise. Yay. Don't worry. You don't have to do anything um, that much. Last week, um, our outward posture was lifting hands, that we 
may lift hands for the first time that we've never lifted them before in a service. Surrender to God and proclaim his victory. But today I want to do an exercise. I want you to just right now close your eyes and calm your mind. I know it's weird, right? <laughs> Woo! And I want you to ask this question. And when you ask this question, David's going to stop playing and we're going to be completely silent in this room. The question I want you to ask Jesus is this Jesus, how do you respond to me? So I want you to ask, I want you to ask Jesus that. You can ask him in your mind. You can ask him out loud. I want you to ask him, Jesus, how do you respond to me? And I want you to remain silent. Maybe some of you are seeing something, hearing something. Maybe some of you are thinking about lunch. <laughs> but when you get that revelation, how Jesus responds to you, it changes worship. Would you stand with me? Father, we love you. And we thank you, Jesus. And God, your response to us you were to come today, and maybe you did to some people, let us worship you. Just to sit here at your feet and worship. 